Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome everyone into Garden Views and Adobe Auditions working well, so I'm very happy here. Uh, our guest today is Ariana Brooks. Some of you may remember her as being one of the co-guests a uh, few months back uh, in one of the early days of the Garden View show uh, with Anna Nephilim, uh, both of whom are belly dancers, and they taught us about the history of belly dance and some of the work that they do. And uh, Oriana is on a, a member of a UN Council for the Arts, if I remember correctly. And to, But today, Ori, Oriana's here to talk about that as well, but uh, also... Uh, she has a book, and she's going to talk about the book and wellness and things like that, and uh, to you know, hopefully lighten the mood of, of sort of the mission that I've been on. And uh, you know, I think it's good that the show found love, sort of its mission and groove, and is going into legal things and and the laws of space and and stuff like that. And I hope you've enjoyed the journey with me, and that's going to continue. But I want to intersperse it with a little bit more of human interest fair and not become sort of like a uh, typecast kind of show. So, Oriana, with that out of the way, welcome back. Thank you for participating with Garden Views again. Well, thank you for asking me to come on again. It's always nice to see you. Thank you. It's great to hear. I, I Hear that, Ma? All right. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so remind the folks who you are, what you do, your background, a little bit of that for those who might not have heard the first show. But I suggest everyone go back listen to the first show some of it will overlap but not all of it by any means uh well as jeff said my name is oriana i go by just oriana on stage but if you were to purchase my book you will see my super secret last name oriana brooks and uh as jeff mentioned i am a member of the council for international dance of unesco which is part of the un I am a professional belly dancer, instructor. I travel all over the world, shake my groove thing, teach online, <laughs> write books, and I am the creator and curator of thenoosemagazine.com, which is a platform for other writers in my field to submit and archive information about Middle Eastern dance. Wow. What is the name again? Fanus Magazine. So that's F as in Frank, A... N is a Nancy O O S, and that means lantern in Arabic. Oh, see, I was going to ask you that, but you anticipated that question. Very well done. Um, so yeah, so tell us about what inspired you to write a book, and about the book, and and the topics that you wanted to cover today. Obviously, without giving away the entire book, because we want to sell some too. Yes, absolutely. It's you know, it's actually not a huge book. It's not super thick. Um, it's really meant to be an overview of, inspired by the questions that my students kept asking me. I had so many students that were kind of advancing and they were on the cusp of, do I want to be a professional performer? Do I want to just be a hobbyist and do different shows? Um, and they had so many questions. And I came to realize that, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, right, is that nobody had ever talked about a lot of these topics in a, you know, kind of format that people could pick up and read, that someone could use as a reference tool, um, that even teachers could use as a reference tool in their own classes. So I sat down and started writing, and it does touch on a lot of different topics. It touches on things like emotional health, booking gigs, um, what you should say to people, inappropriate circumstances that may come up, um, how to choose your music for different types of shows. And it's a little bit of everything, but that's exactly what it was intended to be. So that it's a really good resource material that can be used as a jumping off point for being a student that is advancing as well as teaching advancing students. Wow, that's a lot. So it's really an A to Z manual. I know that we want to focus on the wellness and the holistic nature of it, but I think the second topic you said or subject was how to book gigs. And I think that that, that applies. How, how do you book gigs? Like what are tips? Obviously this doesn't apply just for your 
your your business and probably some of it applies to everything where you're you're an independent contractor uh, or uh, in the artistic or talent or, you know, talent oriented field or on the outside of the equation as well if you are the person hiring so how, you know how do you pick and choose how do you know what to do and not to do how, do you do background checks I mean how, how do you keep yourself safe and make sure you're profitable it exactly that's that's actually a really great summation of one of the chapters that I wrote on this. Uh, the book is called Racks to Riches, which in and of itself is a play on words. Uh, obviously, it's playing off of rags to riches, but the word rack is dance. Um, and one of the things that I found is that people really... <laughs> I'm very glad you clarified that because I have the mind of a 15-year-old boy. And when you say racks and I hear dancing, I, hear, I think something else first. I mean, I'm not going to go into that <laughs> it's it's a different word right it's it's r it's spelled different i mean it's not an english word but the english it's r-a-q-s is that correct that's correct very good i remember from last time so even though i have the mind of a 15 year old boy part it's fighting with the mind of the the 50 something year old man <laughs> uh well so what was i gonna say yes so what <laughs> i found was that you know we spend so much time being dancers you know focusing on the art focusing on being really good at it, that when it comes to the business side, a lot of people think, oh my God, this is so intense. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be a slimy business person. I don't know how to market myself. But that ends up being two thirds of your job if you want to be a professional performer and actually get paid for what you do. Um, so a lot of times I would see students uh, kind of, accidentally get involved in these circumstances where they had no idea what they were doing and somebody calls them and says will you come perform and they're like okay sounds good to me I've never gotten to do this before and they accidentally step in it because they had no idea there was no one to guide them uh, so usually when you end up with your first paying gigs it's because somebody calls you or in this day and age someone will Facebook message you or Instagram message you They'll slide in your DMs, because that's not sketchy, and ask if you're available. Or um, you will be booked out by a teacher. You'll be asked to substitute for someone at a restaurant because they can't be there that night. That was some of my first gigs. Right. And, you know, then the pressure's on, like, oh, my God, my teacher asked me to sub. What if I suck? <laughs> what if I get there and they don't like me? And it's very nerve-wracking if you have no idea what to do. So the book goes over a lot of key points to really keep in mind, what to pack, how to handle a phone call, what information to ask for. I have a, a little chart in there that I created that I personally use, you know, what time, where, what kind of people, what culture, do you have a preference of music? Is there anything I need to know about colors? You'd be surprised how many people are like, can you match my color scheme? You know, that kind of thing, things that maybe you wouldn't know about unless right. somebody told you. Right. You, you love peacocks. Peacocks are in your costumes. I go, I hate peacocks. Yeah. <laughs> but you have a costume in blue, so that'll work. Right. No, but you're right. You have to treat it like a business because if you don't treat it like a business, nobody else will either. I, I imagine part of it also is believe in yourself, which is easier said than done. But if you want to be a professional anything but you know especially a professionally artist you, you have to believe in your art your appearance how you know your costumes your whole presentation because if you don't they'll you know they'll be like sharks smelling blood in the water i would think absolutely and unfortunately something that gets said a lot is fake it till you make it i do not suggest that do not fake it until you supposedly make it because you probably won't make it if you keep faking it that is actually poor advice. Um, instead, I offer in my book, um, it's called the confidence competency loop. The more that you do something successfully, the more likely you are to keep doing something successfully. So if you have yourself prepared and you set yourself up for success by having everything ready, having the information that you need and being prepared for the what if situations, you're more likely to present yourself with calmness which comes off as confidence, which means you will be more successful. Okay. 
When you book your shows, uh, do you use a contract? Do they have terms and conditions on your website that they, they book? So, okay, all of that's there. And yes then, and yes. <laughs> and, and I assume in your classes you have your students sign contracts, including those informed consents say you can twist your ankle, and if you're on any medication, your doctor said it's okay to, to do this. And right. if you're allergic to anything that might be incense or whatever, uh, uh, frankincense, I, you know, let me know. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a couple ways to go about that, legally speaking. A lot of times people will be very um, confused as to why you want to get a contract if they're just hiring you to come dance in their party or whatever. Um, in this day and age, that kind of boggles my mind because mm -hmm. of exactly like you said, like what if somebody were to get hurt or my sword falls on someone and then, yeah. So uh, there are two ways to legally protect yourself. One is to have what's called a performer's contract. And that can be done electronically these days where um, an e-signature or saying that you agree or you affirm that you've read this is enough um, and you just go over your stipulations, what you need, what's being hired, what the pay is covering, that kind of thing. And I always tell the client, this is to protect both of us mm -hmm. so that if I hurt myself, it's not your responsibility. If I'm confused about what you're paying me for, or I say that you owe me money, we can go refer back to the contract. And that usually is enough for them. Oh, okay, that's fine. If you book through a third party, like a gig website, um, someone else called you, all you have to say to the client is, I'm confirming what was discussed, do you agree? But make sure it's done in writing, like an email or a message so that you can screenshot it, and that will be enough. Okay. On that front, I think a lot of people who know me, maybe even you know this, know that one of my hobbies, uh, which sadly was acquired even before I was a 15-year-old boy, and I still haven't kicked it, is professional wrestling. And professional wrestling are independent, are mostly independent contractors, not exclusively. What does this have to do with anything that, that we're talking about? Well, there's no union and there's no guild available for in the professional wrestling industry, but there are in a lot of the other arts. And I'm wondering if there's some sort of guild that's available for freelance dancers or no, you're shaking your head. So I'm guessing the answer is no. No, nope. um, many have tried, often failed, um, mostly because um, art is very subjective and pay rates vary by region. Uh, versus cost of living, you know, people are going to be paid more in Miami than they are here in Tampa, more in New York than they are in the middle of Kansas. So trying to uh, unify how we're going to do this is, it's pretty complicated. And especially when you consider that things are constantly changing, like a lot of things are online now. Um, you know, a lot of classes are online. What does that do for insurance stipulations, injuries? You're in your own home. So Am I responsible for that? That kind of thing. Um, but mostly it just never has actually happened where there's been any sort of unionization. You normally have your group of dancers that you trust and they call you and you call them and you know what's been said because you know each other. It's it's more like um, a street gang. <laughs> gotcha. I, I probably have to look into this a little bit further if I can for like, you know, back, back up dancers for concerts and you know, Broadway and off-Broadway and traveling troops, because I'm sure that there's some difference on, on scale there. Absolutely. You know, you know Absolutely. Vegas shows, et cetera. But, oh, yeah. Um, I don't, you don't have any insight on that other than you think I'm probably right. Um, my only insight on that is just people that I've known that have worked for things like Cirque du Soleil, and you are definitely under a contract where that has been all laid out for you. You have a stage manager. Um, you have a booking agent in some cases that uh, takes care of those details for you. What I'm doing is I'm personally getting the booking and I'm personally arranging everything. So I'm all of those jobs at once. Right. You are the independent contract, meaning that you are self-employed, whereas that right. person who worked for Cirque du Soleil, they were probably an employee of Cirque du Soleil, much like when you are in a movie, you're an employee of that production. Okay. Correct. Which, by the way, for those who didn't know that, I didn't know it either until about a year and a half ago when I 
uh, interviewed Mark Hammer on the Garden of Doom episode, a Hollywood tale, which easily could have been a Garden Views episode had there been a Garden Views at the time. But he's been in Hollywood for 35, 36 years now and has had every production title except for executive producer on TV and except for producer on movies. And they mean the exact opposite things as each other. Uh, executive producer is the, is the top role in uh, TV, uh, but producer is the top villain on movies. Uh, why they occupy different level, different titles. He didn't know, I don't know, but it, so it is. Uh, but you can listen to that show if you want to find out more. But what I want to find out more about before we get into the hell stuff is you said sword. So what kind of sword or other weapons uh, might be applied in your trade? Uh, really? We're talking about one type of sword, which is called a scimitar. Yes. And that is your stereotypical Sinbad curved single-edged blade with a pointed tip and, of course, the hilt at the other end. Um, this comes from the American tradition of belly dance only. It is not used for dancing in the Middle East. That is something that started in the 1970s in American Renaissance festivals when a dancer grabbed one, put it on her head, and said, ta-da, and then it <laughs> took off. <laughs> so the blade itself, of course, is traditional in the Middle East for martial arts reasons. It's part of the military, and the idea of it with the curved blade as opposed to the straight one that you see in like King Arthur style is that it's meant to curve around the body for close combat and to deflect other weapons away, as well as for swinging off of an Arabian horse. Like if you were to lop somebody's head off, the weight of that blade is going to make it easier. And that was explained to me by a Moroccan soldier. So there you go. <laughs> well, it was confirmed by all of the books I read on Genghis Khan. So as well, and also in Game of Thrones, where they had the conversation between Joran Mormont and, uh, and the Dothraki, where they, you know, they said, you know, your armor and everything makes you heavy. He's like, yeah, but my armor stops your blade and my sword can go through armor, blah, blah, blah. So they, I guess they both have pros and cons. Anyway, this is not about weapons. Is, is yours a decorative blade or is it actually sharp? Uh, mine is not sharpened. It is made for dancing. Uh, it is still extremely heavy. It's Pakistani steel, but it has been balanced. So if I were to put it on my head or put it on other parts of my body and dance with it, it's not going to tilt Good. or otherwise fall on me because it is it is very heavy, actually. It'll dent my head when I'm <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, good. Uh, or bad. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll just stop. I'm agnostic on that. Uh, so, all right. So a giant scimitar, that's pretty awesome. Um so that's the only use of weapons. All right, let's get to the serious stuff. So the holistic um, stuff, and you can always bounce back and forth if you want into business aspects as well. That, that's that's fine. I mean, you, it, it's really going to be your lead once you get into your groove and once I shut up, but uh, whichever comes first. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about, I mean, I think the physical wellness speaks to itself a little bit, but I'm sure that but we shouldn't ignore it either. So why don't we start there and then, uh, you know, just touch on, you know, I guess the high points of your book tied into wellness. Okay. Well, yeah, as you said, uh, some of it does speak for itself. Dance itself in all forms, ballroom, ballet, jazz, tap, modern, whatever you do is very well documented in its ability to create those important neural pathways that help deter memory loss like dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, which is why it's so great for you know seniors to do, but really anybody. Um, it does really help with those core memory retention skills because you're memorizing choreography or you're memorizing technique. So in a lot of the same ways that you have to memorize a game of chess, you're memorizing your technique in your chosen field. Belly dance is more specific though, and I have a lot of people ask me if they've never done it before, what kind of fitness is it? Is it like yoga? Is it like Pilates? Is it like, well, actually, it's it's really its own thing. It has a lot of similarities with other disciplines, but it is on its own. <laughs> it's a very complicated art form if you were to advance into the high levels of it. 
first and foremost, it is a folkloric dance, so it's based on a living culture, but the health benefits are accessible to anyone, even if you're not getting into the heavy-duty cultural aspects. Um, and those are mostly things like your pelvic floor strength, your core strength, of course. Uh, the posture that we use is really good for the lat muscles. It is very good for building back strength, oblique strength, and again, like I said, the pelvic floor, especially I've had a couple of students that had very traumatic C-sections, and that was instrumental in kind of helping them with that nerve damage to help build that back together. It does get into a lot of deep connective tissue and your fascia because of how sinuous it is, and you're working the body into a lot of different curving motions. So as opposed to something like ballroom, um, which has a completely different posture, but maybe you're not using the rest of the body as much, you are going to be utilizing a lot of deep movements in this type of art form. Um, flexibility, I should think, kind of goes with that as well. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of strength building. Most importantly, I tell people it's very low impact on your joints. So if you've never danced or you have a lot of, I've had so many students with injuries, car accidents. I used to be a ballet dancer, but now I can't do that anymore. This is perfect. You can have bad ankles, bad knees, bad shoulders. Obviously take care of yourself and you know what your body can do. Consult your doctor if needed, of course. But this is not the type of dance that is going to be high impact, requires special shoes, or is going to further injure the body. Mental benefits, um, again, that repetition, neuroplasticity, your memory retention skills. I also find that for a lot of women especially, it helps release a lot of trauma because you're moving the body, because you're getting into that deep connective tissue, especially in the hips where a lot of women hold their stress. So it's very, very beneficial to kind of hmm, find your happiness, find your joy, take up space, move, get your body doing things that you didn't think you were able to do because of whatever bias society has told you about yourself. Uh, the musical interpretation is excellent for understanding and again that repetition, building those neural pathways. And I would say the number one thing about taking up dance in general that is the best is that you get a sense of achievement. You didn't think you could do any of this when you walked in. You didn't think you could put that sword on your head and actually do anything without it hurting you. You didn't think your hips could do anything like that. And then the process of going through that challenge and then achieving it is where you get that dopamine rush that, you know, I did this. I actually did this. So it, it's just the benefits are so numerous, no matter what level you want to get at or how often you want to do it. I learned um, that belly dancing is gender neutral, that there are also male belly dancers. I did not know that was a thing until probably, I don't know, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely correct. It is gender neutral and it is age neutral. I have seen um, men, women, non-binary persons, um, gender fluid persons um, in both the hobbyist and the professional realm. And that is something that I really, really appreciated about uh, belly dance as I started advancing, but also just being in the professional world of it. I see all kinds of people of all different ages, body types, skin colors, in the competitions, in the professional world, in the hobbyist world. If you love it, there's a place for you. Where are the competitions? I mean, are there, are there regional ones, state, national, international? How do you find out about that stuff? And do you enroll just like anything else or do you have to qualify? What, what, what's the process there? Uh, you know, there used to be a lot more before the pandemic. Definitely. Um, so in my opinion, it's, it's taken a huge hit because people weren't able to travel, but a lot of them have now moved online where you're able to, uh, submit videos oh. and you are given criteria or a rubric for that individual competition. Uh, some of them have different levels. Some of them, you know, it's like you have their 
initial level and then you have your finals. Uh, some of them are only one round. Like some of them have live music. So each one's a little bit different. Um, it's definitely not like kids dance competitions where you have like season and regionals and things like that. Um, but if you're looking to push yourself, it can be a great way. And you typically get a lot of feedback from the judges so that you are getting direct input on what you can or maybe might want to consider working on. How did you get involved with UNESCO? Uh, they found me. <laughs> okay, where did they find you? I, uh, I woke up one day and I had a WhatsApp message from France from uh, Dr. Alkis Raftis himself, who is the uh, Council for International Dance president in Paris. So to be clear, that's not sliding into your DMs. Uh, that's sliding into my WhatsApp. <laughs> but, 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 but that's an acceptable. So the, the, the sliding in inference is more about who does it than the actual act itself. Well, I mean, to be honest, I totally had to, like, reverse look up the number because I'm like, bullshit, this cannot possibly be messed no, no, this, this is not about you. This is about me not understanding the difference because, you know, nobody slides into my DMs. I mean, when it's somebody that I don't know or I didn't message first, I mean, it's always fake. It, 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 it's, it's like a fake Twitter account that someone assumes I want to see their naked pictures or fake naked pictures of not them. And I just delete those. Um, so I, I think that's sliding into to DMs. But I, there's, there's nothing that tells you that there's a you know a false flag DM versus one from the person who I sent a, a message to three months ago about being a guest on Garden of Doom, and they just haven't gotten around to it, you know, for three months, days, and they say sorry for the delay. I mean, you know, anyway, I, I think this is just because I'm old. It's never mind. This is this is no, no. I don't think it's an old thing. I think it's um, I, one of the things that I don't like about social media is that every single platform is a messaging service, and mm -hmm. it it gets to be a bit much because then you, like you said, you never know, like, do I know this person and I just don't recognize this name? Like, what's going on? Class, International Business Class 38 for you and Trademark World, uh, the, the the proprietary messaging sort of, uh, function. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this doctor, I'm sorry, I forgot his name from France, contacts you. Yes. And uh, it was, uh, we're interested in having you in UNESCO. Um, please turn in your resume for review, and we shall review you. Okay, so and that was literally it. And I, I was kind of like, huh? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that you're like thrilled, and you're like, you just DM me. You found me. You want me now. You want my resume? What's up? What's up? With that? Or do were you just like, sure? Sounds good. I kind of went okay, where do I turn it in at? He gave me an email address and I looked up the email address. Okay, this is definitely legit. This is really them. Okay, okay, no pressure. So I put my resume together and I make it all clean and precise and I, I send it in. And like a week later, I get an email from him directly. You've been accepted. Here's your member number. You are now a full-fledged part of UNESCO and you can attend all of our lectures for free and have your name in the network and come to the uh, International Congress once a year. That's great. So have they had International Congresses the last year? They have. I have not attended one because of the travel restrictions. They're usually out of country. Um, there's going to be two this year one is in Athens and the other one I believe is in the yes it's in the the official building in Paris ah, well I'm, I'm sure you'll make your way to at least one of those I mean oh no I have to go to Paris right now do they do they pay for you to go or do you have to pick up is it on, on your ticket it is on my ticket um so if anybody has any doubts about you know like you have to be rich to be in it um, or anything like that. They don't supply any money to you. They don't fund your research projects. It's not a, a monetary thing. It's solely um, a skill and a research accolade. So this is a is is would those expenses be a deductible business expense, like being part of like a trade group or an inter, like a continuing education? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've even thought about it or talked about it with you, but it seems to me it, it would be. It can be. Um, 
legally speaking, because you're an individual, you would have to register yourself as either a sole proprietorship and an S-Corp or an LLC in order to make those deductions. Um, it doesn't go through UNESCO's tax services. It would be your individual taxes. Sure. Okay. Very cool. Um, and what does UNESCO stand for? Oh my gosh, I'd have to Google it again. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the, the, the on is United Nations. <laughs> it is the, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Great. Perfect. All right, so everyone can check that out, but that's that's a you know pretty select list, right? I, like, how, how many people are on this uh, in this group on this council? I actually do not know because I'm only in the Council for International Dance. Um, you know, we're at around a thousand ish as it stands, um, but there are different councils within UNESCO for science, languages. Uh, there's uh, UNESCO is kind of an umbrella. Um, society, and then it goes down into all of these different um, organizations. So, is there anyone that like would be famous at some that you've rubbed that you've met, like Debbie Gibson or Paul Abdul or Mikhail, not Mikhail, uh, Barishnikov? Um, I have not personally encountered anyone like that, but there's definitely. I've been on some phone calls and some Zoom calls with some big names in the field that maybe aren't household names, but uh, like Dr. Hassan Halil in Cairo, um, the um, the Countess in Paris was on a call, uh, you know, some really big names that I recognize and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. Uh, I, I wish I knew I were, there used to be the Alvin Ailey uh, dance troupe. Maybe there still is. So it'd be cool. If, like, they are, yeah, they're still around. Yeah. So it'd be cool if like Alvin Ailey was, was at, at me. I'm not even sure if Alvin Ailey's still alive. I, mean, I don't know. Um, there's been some pretty prominent ballet dancers, especially in other countries. Um, the great thing about uh, the Council for International Dance is that it's not so much about being famous as it is. How can we help you? You know, how can we connect you to other people in your field um, in almost a fraternal type of way so that you can have resource and information exchanges, as well as archival services. Um, like there was a professor in Armenia that's working to preserve the Armenian dances that were almost completely eradicated by the genocide. Wow. And how, do, how does he or she do that? Do they set up classes and, you know, at institutes and try to... Uh, you know, uh, convince people to take them or, you know, not convince uh, that and going through archival information, interviews, going through people's diaries that may have been executed. Um, you know, it was very much a Holocaust situation where 2.5 million people were killed. So um, that's a lot of family information, recipes, language information, and a loss of culture, a massive loss of culture. Oh yeah, uh, that but that's that's beyond the, the, the dance. That's the you know that's uh, the whole thing. But as far as the dance is concerned, I, I imagine he's looking for surviving uh, experts and teachers to and to try to uh, you know whatever the ex uh, you know their equivalent of a tax exempt is, if even that matters there, to you know, exactly. you know to get classes and something online and to sort of uh, resuscitate. Uh, resurrect yes. the, uh, the, the yes. that and get it exactly. um, more prominence. Okay. That, uh, those all sound good, but if you met someone famous, that'd be cool too. You know, why not? You know, that's always fun, <laughs> right? Isn't it always fun or just, dis or terribly disappointing? Um, they always say don't meet your idols. Um, I, I won't disclose too much, but I had dinner with a famous person in my field, um, that some people would recognize the name of because he was a really, really big musician and I had a good experience, but he was a definitely an interesting person. Yeah, well, uh, tw Twitter is uh, some, sometimes allowed all of us to sometimes <laughs> meet our idols, I suppose, and it's not always great. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the problems of the metaverse are probably a, a topic for a different show, though. I, I think they apply to everyone. I, so, all right. So we talked about the physical wellness. We talked about, I think, the emotional and mental wellness of it. What are some of the intangibles or, or what kind of skill sets would help one in this? I mean, I know you said anyone, any age can, can do this. 
Um, it, I, I don't know, but it's, it, you know, it's Eastern, but it's not like yoga chakras Eastern or, or is there overlap? Oh, there's not a lot of overlap when it comes to Eastern mysticism. Um, there are mystic, quote unquote, traditions in the Middle East, such as the Zoroasters or the Sufis, um, aka the Whirling Dervishes. Um, but it doesn't play into belly dance as we know it. Um, that comes more if you're getting into really deep cultural studies. As far as skill sets that would be of use um if you have any dance in your background that's great it's not required um if you have good language skills if you have um good communication skills and if you're able to take things from an anthropological perspective and by that i mean you can look past your own cultural bias to see something in its native habitat that to me has been the most important feature because i work with a lot of egyptian teachers a lot of people in the Arab world and being born an American and coming into an Arab influenced and centered art form, there are some things that are hard to understand until you speak to the native people. Right. And you have to be able to not come at it from your own lens and your own judgments and actually see it for what it is and then to make your assertion. Okay. I think we might have touched on this last time. But I'm not sure. It just comes up all the time. You know, there's a fine line between, you know, what's considered cultural appropriation these days and and just liking something and doing something respectfully. And I, I don't know what the difference is, you know, any longer. Uh, you know, some things are obvious. I, I don't know where the line gets drawn. I mean, fr from an outsider perspective, I mean, obviously, I know from your insider perspective, you know the difference. You're treating everything respectfully and seriously, and this is, uh, you know, obviously right. serious enough that the, the UNESCO reached out to you. Um, but I'm sure there's still someone out there that says, "Hey, you're you're uh, white American. How could you do this?" And what, what's the answer? What's the response? Is there one? That is a fantastic question, and I'm really glad that you asked that because it is a conversation that's absolutely ongoing within a lot of art forms, not just belly dance. Um, because you're right, someone could easily say, you're a white woman, like, why are you able to do this? Or can you do this? Or isn't it insulting? The answer to that is complex, but I'm going to simplify it. Art does exist outside the realms of language, time, space, cultural, social constraints, um, and what we perceive as a living culture. So you have art, and art is accessible to anyone. That is, you have the right to, you know, learn someone's song in their native language, or, you know, take a play that was written in ancient Greek and transcribe it into English so that it can be presented. That is within the realm of art. When we get into cultural appropriation, we get into taking something that we have not researched we don't know much about, we think it's cool, and using it for a reason, a purpose, or a context that it is not intended for. So great example, wearing a Native American chief headdress to Coachella. <laughs> that is cultural appropriation. You're taking something that you don't understand the meaning of, and you're using it in a way that it's not intended to. This, of course, especially applies to anything that is religious, sacred, has deep spiritual meaning, um, involves rites of passage, like certain tattoo markings, um, without understanding or having that uh, meaning behind it. So let's say a common example in belly dance is that there was a trend for quite some time to um, take like black eyeliner and put certain markings on the face. Um, those markings are called harku. And they are used by the Saidi people, the Nubian people, as well as the Amazigh Moroccan people and the Algerian people, primarily for women. But each one of those markings has a different meaning, and they are a form of ritual tattooing that is also a rite of passage. So if we are to say, is this cultural appropriation? Yeah, it is, because if you're if you're just putting marks on your face because you think it looks cool and tribal and you look edgy, that's a very, very different thing 
then if you've, say, studied Moroccan dance very intensely, and you're using that as part of an authentic performance, even if you're not Moroccan. And that is the difference. Where does Vanilla Ice fit into this? Where does he fit into anything? <laughs> so, okay, art is art, we'll give Vanilla Ice a pass. Okay. Uh, you, you seem dubious, but that's all right. We don't need to sell a Vanilla Ice question. I'm not sure that anyone can sell a Vanilla <laughs> Ice question. Um, he's probably melted anyway. Uh, so, all right. <laughs> so, so your book has a lot of chapters. And instead of me trying to ask you, like, you know, about each one, why don't you sort of tell, take us through things that I didn't stumble upon or ask specifically? And what do you think is important for people to know about? But again, don't give away too much. Lead things through my book. Uh, first and foremost, it has a fantastic introduction by Tomalin the Lal of New Orleans, who is a uh, world-renowned, uh, known as the teacher of teachers for belly dancers. It has a beautiful epilogue by Shelley Paris Williams, who is the owner of the Womb Sanctuary, and that was important to me to have her address her views as someone who's not a belly dancer but works with women's health and really beautiful illustrations by my best friends from high school, Brienne Roberts and Gabrielle Roberts. So this was a very, very like grassroots project that I took on. I don't know if you can see, but the illustrations are completely original and they're gorgeous. So the intent was to weave in some beauty with this and to really remember that there's, there's a, there's some magic going on here in the creation process and the joy and the fun of being able to create and to dance is still there and it shouldn't get lost in this minutia of how much am I getting paid? What do I say? What do I wear? Um, what do I do if somebody's inappropriate and that can happen? You can start to lose the spark because you get mired down in all of these weird situations you'll be put in. <laughs> well, what so, are some of the, frequent weird situations and you know i think it's probably you know might feel obvious what some of the inappropriate situations are but it's probably better to hear from your mouth rather than my assumptions or somebody in the audience's assumptions um like a lot of things in the entertainment industry some of the common awkward situations are that um maybe you love the dance but you have stage fright Um, You spend thousands of dollars in lessons and costumes and you come and you're completely prepared and you step on stage and everyone's staring at you, (laughs) waiting for you to do something. (laughs) Um, And it feels awkward. Sometimes the audience can contribute to the awkwardness. Western audiences tend not to make any noise and they're always at the at a concerto, like silently staring you down and making eye contact, and it's very unnerving. <laughs> um, I've had people ask me very strange questions, um, which aren't strange to them, but uh, things like, should you be wearing a burqa? Should you be wearing a hijab? Mm-hmm. Um, why aren't you thinner? Why aren't you bigger? Um, should you be curvier? Should you not be curvy at all? Um, what does your boyfriend think of this? I get that quite a bit. Hmm. Do they ask you if you have a boyfriend? <laughs> they, well, actually, they don't establish that first. They don't say, are you married or do you have a boyfriend? They're just like, what does your man think of this? And I'm ah, like, what well, man? <laughs> yeah. Right, it's, it's 2022. That's, that's a bunch of assumptions, not just one. Right, right. It's, it's like, how do you know I even date men? You don't know that. Like, don't worry about my personal life. Right. How, how do you know I haven't been married 15 years? Uh, you know, I, I, any of these things. Go, go. Well, my first five husbands didn't like it, but my, my current wife does. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, can, you, can, I mean, you can have all yeah. sorts of cheeky responses. Yeah, exactly. But that's probably um, not productive. And that's just in, in, like, the gigging world. I mean, being a student... Um, being a perpetual student, but especially if you move into teaching, it's, okay, I've done all this research and I've done all this work. How do I present this in a way that people are going to understand? How do I teach rhythm to people that maybe have never danced before? How do I take an adult student who's here for fun and keep them engaged? How do I deal with competition with other studios and not stepping on people's toes? 
how do I not get so bored doing this that I don't want to do it anymore? Yeah, do you have to mix up the music? Uh, and then with that, you have to come up with new dance routines. I mean, I guess there's a grind just like anything else. Absolutely, absolutely. And in a kind of culture that worships the grind and the hustle, and I'm really guilty of this. I'll be the first one to admit it. It is hard to slow down when you see everybody on social media constantly posting their highlights. I'm not doing enough. It's not enough. I should be doing this. I should be complete peating. I should get this kind of costume. It can be very hard, and you can absolutely get lost in that. Well, what's your tip to get them out of their own heads? Um, like I said, I'm very guilty. Um, so I'm speaking from personal experience and it's something that I do every single day. You got to get off the phone. Um, don't look as hard. Um, if you have to unfollow people, not because you don't like them, but because it's hurting you mentally, then do it. Um, if you need to take apps off your phone, do it. And pick music that really moves you as a dancer. Don't just pick the popular stuff or, oh, I should be working on this. Start your practice every day when you go to rehearse with your favorite songs and then go to the stuff that you're challenging yourself on. Because again, with that confidence competency loop, if you tackle the stuff that you do well, you automatically feel better and the rest becomes easier. Okay, I think that's a great tip. Where can people find you? Where can they buy your book? Where can they book you? And anything that I forgot to ask that you think is important to add? Everything about me can be found on my website, Oriana, O-R-I-A-N-A, bellydancer.com, including links to Amazon to buy the book, how to sign up for classes, and all of my social media links, which is at Oriana Belly Dance. And bookings as well, I assume. Absolutely. Fabulous. You have any big shows coming up? Um, uh, yes, I do. Um, I haven't actually publicly announced much yet, but I am part of an international competition and I uh, have been booked to perform in Las Vegas okay. in September. There you go. That's great. Okay. Well, if they want, is it a hotel, is it a hotel, a casino, like someplace some, somebody can go? It's Elisa Lane's Womanopoly show, so I'll be part of a variety show, and it is on the rooftop of Taverna Castena. Oh. Sounds, on the strip. Sounds fancy. Sounds fancy. All right, I'm well, so excited. Good. All right. Well, great. Congratulations. Sounds like a lot of fun. It's been great seeing you again, and, and everything sounds good. Thank you for this. Thank you for helping me sort of lighten the mood on uh, Garden Views. Uh, I, I, You know, I'm... I'm deciding between names i think i'm going to stick to weaving the beauty because that that sort of hit me when you said it i think it's better than the the vanilla ice uh, uh conundrum i i do like that a lot better than vanilla ice conundrum but that does sound like a band name if you ever need one i don't think i will ever need a band name, <laughs> but i will i will keep it in mind i thank you again for your time thanks for being part of garden views again always nice to chat with you and be well folks hope you enjoyed this and again if you want to hear more from oriana on my show check out the prior show i, I think it's called the history of the belly dance or something like that but it's it's listen it's the only other show with the title belly dance in it and you'll also hear from anna as well and go to her website and check out her stuff buy her book and all that other good stuff so otherwise you will hear us next week thanks all thank you it's squad. Gabby B. Gabby